Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 8 through 14. Though when I read, I'll begin at verse 7. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful, glorious resurrection day. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for being present with us, filling us, taking control of our lives as we surrender to you each day. And Lord, that is our desire, to surrender again this morning, to let you lead us and guide us, instruct us, and shape us and mold us into your image. Thank you again for what you have in store for us today. We praise you. We love you. We desire to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. Notice what it says in verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let me stop a moment. And who's that talking about? If you remember last time, we were being instructed to walk in love. And when we walk in love, we're walking worthy of our calling. Today, we're going to see that we're to walk in light, just as he is in the light, and that we are the light. In fact, going back to our text to understand who was it speaking about, if we're walking in love, we will not be speaking filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. No, no, no. Those things are not in love. Certainly, the unbeliever, the unregenerate person, he lived in this lifestyle. In fact, formally, that's what you and I did. Let's go back to our text and notice what it says again, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. There was a darkness that was in you and in me, but now... You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak the things which are done by them in secret. But all of things become visible when they're exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is the light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. The believer is to walk as a child of light. You and I, when we've been born again, we've entered that straight and narrow gate that leads to life. Let me show you in Matthew, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, enter through that narrow gate. For the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. So there are few that find this straight and narrow gate it is to life. When a person is born again, that's the gate that he enters through. In fact, in Luke thirteen twenty four, he says this, 
Strive to enter through that narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. Because they do not walk in the light, they do not come into the place where Jesus can have his way in their hearts. They don't say, Lord, save us. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Although acknowledge that Jesus needs them, but there's no salvation apart from repentance. Acknowledging what I believed about him in the past, acknowledging the fact that I'm a sinner and I cannot be good enough, I cannot save myself. It's not enough just to say, you know, he's going to save me. I have to call upon his name. We'll look again. Psalm one nineteen one o five says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. See, if we are to be children of the light, it's the light of Jesus. His word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. I must let him light that path. Proverbs 4.18 says this, But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You know, as you begin going down that path, you will have greater and greater illumination. You know, in this life, there are two distinctive walks. Two distinctive walks. See, one will be in darkness that leads to death, the other to life that is in light. There are two roads. There are two gates. There is a world of difference between the two, though. In fact, a person's eternity is determined by which walk he takes, which walk he pursues. He'll determine his life if he goes through the straight and narrow gate or he goes the broad and wide. So the choice is of believers. We'll look at verse 8 in our text. Notice the believer's nature. Verse 8, For you were formerly darkness, but now your light in the Lord walk as children of light. Christians are not light themselves. They are light in the Lord because he is the light and we are in him and he is in us. We are light. We are a reflection of who he is. When people see you and me, they must realize that there is a God. And that's the light that comes. But on the other hand, darkness describes the character of a life of a person who's unconverted, unregenerated. Light drives out darkness. Light refuses to coexist with darkness. Light dispels darkness. You know, just stop and think when you walk down to uh, into the kitchen or something to, to get a drink of water in the middle of the night. You turn on the lights, and if you've got cockroaches, man, those cockroaches run for those dark places. In a sense, when you and I were in darkness, like the cockroaches fleeing, being dispelled from the light, we did everything we could to avoid the contact with the light. Why? The scripture makes it very clear. We like darkness more than light. We love our sins. We're addicted by our sins. But when we're born again, we are set free by the power 
of Jesus Christ. Look with me again in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5-7. through 7. This is the message we've heard from Him, and we announce to you that God is light. In Him there is no darkness. And if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, very strongly, he makes this point. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. We're going to be talking later on about the deeds of the flesh, those people who habitually walk in these things will not enter the kingdom of God. There are many that say, yes, they profess. They have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, but their walk says something else. The evidence that you and I walk in the light shows that we are truly believers, that we can truly deceive ourselves when we walk in the dark and think that we're going to be with the Lord one day. We need the Lord's power to set us free. But every person's a believer comes into the light. Let me read Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Here he speaks, notice, about a believer, one who has become a believer, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We were in darkness he snatched us out of that fire, out of the power of Satan, and he's put us in to the body of Christ. He's put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. While at one point we were walking in spiritual darkness, we were blind to the truth. But now we've come into the light. And, and that's what the person who walks in this darkness who is still in this domain of darkness, is he's spiritually blind. He's blind to the truth. Where he is, where he's come from, he doesn't know why he's on this earth. There's no purpose. There's no idea where he's going after death. He doesn't know whether there's a God or not, or heaven or hell, because he's spiritually blind. Genesis Chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 with me. Notice when the earth was created, it was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And in verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. And that's what God has done in the world. That's what he wants to do in every person's heart in this world that's dark. He says, let there be light. Yet some will still scamper, still run from that light back to darkness, just like those cockroaches. Now, when God created this light, notice what he did in verse 4. It says, and God saw the light was good. And God separated that light from the darkness. And that's what he wants to do is separate the light and darkness in your life. 
that this light comes into your life and it dispels all darkness, the darkness, the wickedness of our heart, those things that separate us from the true and loving God. Look again at John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him, referring to Jesus, was life, and that life was the light to men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Notice, light shines into the darkness, but darkness itself can't comprehend. There was a period of time when you looked at the Bible, you heard a message about God. You were just in spiritual darkness. You can look and oftentimes tell an unbeliever when they come in the church, just got this, this look in their eyes like a stare, that like the lights have hit them like a deer on the highway, and they freeze. They just don't get it. That was true in my life. And I know it was true in your life at one point. It is Christ, though, who brings light and brings life to every man who will call upon his name. He shows us the truth of life, of who God is, of his creation, of death, and that destiny he shows us how the beginning and the origin of all things, that, that there's a purpose, there's a meaning, there's a, a significance in this life. We're here for a reason. The truth of death and that of eternity. That every believer who is born again, not just a professor, but those who possess a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will go to be with the Lord forever. Jesus Christ is not only showing us the light, but he's made us light. He's changed our very nature from darkness to light. The believer is a new creation in Christ. And Christ, the light unto the world, now lives in you and me, and we also, too, will live for eternity. We are the light of the eternal God in the midst of a dark, dark world. Notice again in Acts, reminding us of the purpose. I'm going to begin in Acts 26, verse 18, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness. Jesus Christ came to open our eyes that we may turn from darkness to light, again from that dominion of Satan to God, and that we may receive forgiveness for our sins, inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Jesus Christ come to set the captives free. Every person who was an unbeliever before they came to Christ was a captive of Satan, a captive of darkness. The weight of his sin was upon his shoulders. It determined his destiny. But Jesus Christ came came and brought the light to shine into darkness. And he says, come out from within them. 
Well, look with me in verse 9. We see the fruit of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. When a believer walks in the light, he is walking in love. And love bears good things. Love bears the fruit of the Spirit. Look again with me to John. John 15, 5. Jesus speaking says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any eternal value. In fact, this fruit that we're talking about is in Galatians chapter 5. Let me read verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, let me stop. Fruit of the Spirit is singular. The fruit that Jesus produces in your life and my life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It goes on against such things there is no law. That's what love looks like. That's how love is seen in this life. So the fruit that's produced is love. That when you walk in the light, you're, you're walking in love, and this light produces love in your life. But I also want to call your attention to a word there that's in that passage. Notice the word goodness. See, Paul, in again, in our verse we're looking at now, explains what it means to live as children of light by referring to three Christian graces. The first one, as I just pointed out, is goodness. The second one is righteousness. And the third one is truth. These are pictured as the, the fruit of life. And, and they stand in stark contrast to the unfruitful works of the darkest. Well, let's look at that first word, goodness. We saw in Galatians, the fruit of spirit. And goodness refers to benevolence or moral excellence to being good in both nature and effectiveness. Like a copy love, goodness finds its fullest and highest expression, and that is which is willing to sacrificially be done for others. Goodness just wants to do good. Goodness just wants to bless others. And this goodness is the fruit of life. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Well, the second word I want to call your attention to, as I mentioned, is righteousness. It means both to be right and to do right. Romans 4, verse 5, let me show you. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is a credit to him as righteousness. The one who simply puts his trust and faith in Jesus Christ, he is the one that has a right standing. His life, we're going to see in a second, will be evidenced by a life lived out for Christ. The light that is in him will produce that fruit in his life. So the first thing that we must be is right with him. That's our position that he sees us just as we've never sinned. 
But righteousness also has to do with how we live, because many profess that relationship, but they don't live it out, and they deceive themselves. Now, I'm not talking about perfection, because all of us battle daily with our own fleshly desires. But I'm talking about a radical change in our life. And that's what happens when you come to Christ. You've come from darkness to light, and there's a radical change. You become his workmanship, and as you surrender to him, he will finish that work in you and me. Well, let's look at that righteousness that has to do with the way we live. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 13. And I do not go on or do not go on presenting the members of your body to sins of instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So we have a responsibility no longer to present our instruments, our body, to unrighteousness, to do the things that we used to do. We just won't do them anymore. We don't find joy in them like we used to. We're uncomfortable when we do them. Well, how do I not present? Well, it's by presenting ourselves to God, alive from dead, because we know that God has a purpose for us in this life. For such a time as this, you are in Hilo. And there's people around you, family and friends, that God wants you to be a light, to be a witness, a testimony. Just like the book of Esther, when you stop and think about it, God is never mentioned, but yet their lives, that is of Esther and Mordecai, oh, they certainly reflected their faith in God and trust in God. And God was there with them. First Timothy, though, 6.11 says this, Flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You know, when the temptations come, when they're knocking upon your door, this is flee, run. Just as Joseph did in the Old Testament, he fleed. He'd already determined what he was going to do when the temptation came. Or when we go back to the book of Job, Job made a covenant with his eyes. He would not look at anything unclean. So we're to flee. And it's not enough just to flee. We must turn to God. And we turn to his righteousness, goodness, faith, love, and perseverance, and gentleness. First John 2.29 says this, If you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Notice the assurance there. See, when you are practicing righteousness, when you're walking in love and in his life, there's this assurance, this peace. God, you are at work in me. My faith is real. And you have that assurance. See, the believer does not live in a false security. No. Because he does not neglect doing what is good and living as he should, he puts off self-righteousness. He puts off legalism. He chooses by 
not to be judgmental or fault-finding. So as he's reading the word, he recognizes God's at work in him, changing him and transforming him, empowering him, giving him new horizons to go. There is an evidence to his own heart. His faith is real and God is real. Well, the third word I want to call your attention to, it's truth. And truth has to do with honesty, reliability, and trustworthiness, and integrity. Again, a stark contrast to the hypocritical, deceptive, and even false ways of the old life of darkness. Let's look at some verses together in John eight thirty one and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, this is not just referring to just reading the word, but it's really knowing the word. It's living the word. It's walking out that word. Because he goes on to say, Truly, you are disciples of mine. That's what disciples do. They want to be like their master. They want to walk as he walked. They want to have that relationship with the one that he has, just like it. And when we do that, there's a promise. You'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Certainly, David understood that. King David, that is, in Psalm 51. I'm going to read verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in my innermost being. In the hidden part, you will make known wisdom. It's interesting as you think about this passage because David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. The baby had died coming from that relationship. He made arrangements and, and Uriah uh, was killed. He was trying to hide from really his sin, dealing with God, and he was miserable, even physically sick. Psalm 32 tells us for about a year. And David comes to this point and he knows inside, God, you really desire this truth. See, if you are a child of light, you cannot sin and hide from God. He will convict you. He will make you miserable because he wants to call you back out of darkness into that life because really you are washed with the water of the word. You're sanctified by the truth. Look with me in John seventeen seventeen. This is again in Jesus' high priestly prayer. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. See, in a person, when they're in that backslidden point, they cannot spend time in prayer. They cannot spend time in the Word because they're miserable. There's a conviction. Walking in the light or being exposed to the light of God's Word, it reveals and improves sin in your own life as well as the life of others as a believer walks in the life. A believer who walks in the light is always, look at verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. If you love someone, you love them with that agape love, that sacrificial love, you know what? You want to please them. 
And as you walk in the light in, in a spiritual sense, the light enables us to discriminate uh, between what is pleasing to God and, and simply what's not pleasing to God. Why? Because we're children of light and we hunger and thirst for his righteousness and we want to be like him. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, children like they do obey whether he's there or not there. And they take the word of God and they apply it to their lives. It says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's what we do. We apply the word to our lives. We want to honor God. And we prove by doing that both what God's will is, that is, to those around us, and to work for his good pleasure. See, it's without that fruit there is no evidence of the life of God in us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, that, that phrase, that's where we began. If you remember in our text in chapter 4, walking worthy of the Lord. See, walking worthy of the Lord means we're walking in love, walking in the light. And we're going to see next week, walking in wisdom. And then we're going to see after that, walking in harmony, harmony with Christ, harmony with our spouses, and when we go into chapter 6, that thought will carry through in the beginning of chapter 6, walking in harmony with our family, in our workplaces. This is what's pleasing. This is what honors God. Well, Second Peter 1, verses 2 through 4, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. That knowledge of God. Well, there is a knowledge that is a head knowledge and a heart knowledge, but there's also that experiential knowledge. Notice again, as we continue with Second Peter, verse 3, though, in this case, seeing that his divine powers granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Notice, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he would have granted us his precious, magnificent promises, that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You know, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And notice how it comes through the true knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, there's a verse that I shared when we began, but it seems appropriate here again. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. 
enter through that narrow gate. For the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who will find it. See, the gate is Jesus. We we go through his life. But notice with me in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord that you receive from us the instruction as how you ought to walk. That's why the early disciples continued in the apostles' doctrine. Why? It gave them instruction how they could walk, how they would be pleasing unto the Lord. Not only pleasing to the Lord, but pleasing to one another. He goes on in that passage and says, please God, just as you actually do walk, they were doing this. But he goes on to say that you still excel more. When you love somebody, you want to bless them. You want to please them. And, and sometimes there's almost this heart. You want to outdo yourself again and again. You just want to bless them. You just want to lavish them with your love. I'm so thankful that God lavishes us with his love. Well, Hebrews 11, verses 4 and 5, notice again. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him up. For he obtained a witness that before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. You know, I read that passage and reminded of the words that I want to hear. Good and faithful servant. Aren't those the words that you want to hear? That one day the Lord will say to you, You've been a good and faithful servant. And again, as we talk about it next week, how we become a good and faithful servant reminds us we also have to walk in wisdom. There's something else I want to call your attention to about light. Light exposes the works of the darkness or evil. Look at verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. So light simply exposes evil. Again, as we turn the light on in the house and it's been dark at night, and you see those cockroaches scamper, it exposes them And when your life goes around other people, it will expose their evil deeds. You don't need to holler. You don't need to point a finger. You don't need to stand up on a box and and, and rant and rave. Your very life that is being walked out in life will be a conviction to them. I remember prior to being saved, I had a retail division in my business and in that retail is there was a family that came in and and I just looked at the way they they respected and honored each other and and not only them everyone else around and and I knew in my heart they had to be Christians they had to go to church there was something different about them. And it was one of the many things that God was using in my life. Your life, in the same way, when you walk in the light, 
can get people to think about God, to think about their own choices and decisions, where they're going, where they've come from. So light exposes evil. Now that word expose simply deals with correcting and convincing someone. And you can do that without words. In fact, later on, look at First Peter chapter 3. Again, talking about a wife, how she could wit her husband by her quiet, still behavior without a word. And you can win your family and friends by making Jesus Christ first in your life and walking in the light. It it means living a holy life. It means going and confronting darkness. It means that sometimes you'll go in and, yes, people will scamper away. That's true. But the clear charge, though, and forceful it is, believers are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful deeds of the darkness. We're in this world, but not of this world. And just going through this world, this light will affect others. He simply says again, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of this darkness. Well, see, it, it pictures an unbeliever who's spiritually blind, stumbling through this world, lost, unaware of his destiny. Their life is unfruitful, that is, in anything in this world lasting for eternity. There is nothing in this life that will go into eternity with them. Psalm 1 reminds us again, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night. See, the child of the light does not seek to get counsel from the wicked. Those that are in darkness hang out with sinners nor seat with the scoffers, because what happens when he does, he'll begin to do the very same things they do, like a dog returning to a vomit. If you do not put off the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, they will consume you, they will draw you in deeper and deeper, and deeper. Let me remind you of a passage in Genesis 19, verse 10 11. But the men reached out with their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door, and they struck the men who were in the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Here, it's, it's before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, if you remember, the two men were angels that come in. And they're in the house of Lot. And Lot goes out front because these men are banging in his door. And they want to have sex with these men inside. And, and again, these angels intercede. They struck them with a blindness. But notice, they won't give up. This this passion is burning in them for the lust of the flesh and they're still trying to find the door that's what addiction does to to every person 
You got to have more, 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 but it doesn't satisfy. And that's the way it is with sin. It consumes you if you do not put off the things of the flesh. Now, what are those things of the flesh? Galatians 5, verses 19, 21 make it clear. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that have this as their lifestyle, many will point the finger, well, I, I don't have idolatry in my life. I'm not drunk. But yet every place they go, there's strife. They bring strife, not blessing. Constantly jealousy of maybe a person getting promoted or something happened to them. And, and, and even bursting out with anger. Every one of us here perhaps has a problem with anger. But may it not be habitual. May we be surrendering that area of our lives to the Lord to soften our spirits to make us more loving. But outburst anger speaks of one who is out of control. It is unchecked. And once words come out of your mouth, actions are done, you cannot change them. You cannot take them back. Just like a person who is drunk, he's not in control of his life. A person who's in that pit of rage is not in the spirit. He's in the flesh. And that's really the warning. Light brings illumination. Look with me at verse 13. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. As we walk in the light, it not only causes us to grow, but also causes us to throw off a glow. As, as we throw off that glow from our life, Everything that the light touches is influenced, affected in some way. Do you have somebody that you know that's been around your life? As just as I mentioned that person that was in my nursery, I recognized there was something different about him, influenced me for good. They began to think about going to church, thinking about what I'm doing, the destiny I have, the destiny for my family. Well, just as that person's presence has somehow affected you, that is, for the Lord, God wants to use your life when you walk in the light. I'd like to share an illustration here. Several years ago, there was a young man at Oklahoma State University. He was about to graduate, and he'd gone through four years without darkening the doors of a church. Right at the end of the four-year period of time, as he was about to graduate, he went to see the pastor of the college church there, and he said he wanted to share a testimony with him. He says, I've ridiculed the church since I've been in school. He explained, I've 
not gone to the church. Not only that, I made fun of those who did. I called them all kinds of names, did everything I could to make life miserable for them. But this year, my senior year, I realized I I am soon to be out there. And I began to realize that going the direction that I was going and living that kind of life was was living not what would lead me to the destination I want to reach. And I began to look around and observe some of those members of the church, those I played sports with, lived in the apartments with. I had classes with them. I watched the way that they relate to the girls. I have watched everything about their life. And I want to ask you this morning, How can I experience what they have? See, this is what Paul was talking about. When we walk in the light as others see the light, they're influenced by it. When light touches something, it becomes light. It's lit up. To some degree, the object gives off light itself. It's converted and it's changed. So long as evil is done in secret, it it thrives. But when it's dragged out of the dark corners and closed rooms into the light, it dies. Look with me in verse 14. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. It is light that wakens the spiritually dead. If you've been born again, then you have been awakened. You have been called out of darkness. You have wakened from darkness. And Isaiah, this is where it comes from, is Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's the glory of God that lives in you. And as we walk in the light, we learn what's pleasing to him and God's glory is seen. Now, what does it mean to rise from the dead, though? It means that we've been summoned to repentance, appeal to turn away from the dead ways of sin. Christ will shine on you and the good news that God has provided a remedy for every sinful person who has come to him through this blessed Son, the Savior of all mankind. Light awakens the sleeper. You know, as soon as the sun comes up, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is, I awake. Just as I wake physically, spiritual light wakens the soul. He calls us out of this spiritual sleep, this slump, Isaiah says, 55, verses 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him run and return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our Lord, for he will abundantly pardon them. If you are still in darkness... God wants to lavish you with compassion. As you come into light, you recognize your sinfulness. He wants 
to save you, to bring you from the kingdom, the dominion of the of darkness of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son. He wants to give you forgiveness, hope, and reason to live. Again, Jesus said in John six, John twelve forty six. notice what he said. I've come as a light into the world so that everyone believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He's come to save you. All you need to do is call upon the name of the Lord. And finally, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God has said, Light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and face Christ. Your life, as a believer, will light those lives around us. Jesus is the light. We reflect his light because he is in us. Father, thank you for your word that is sweet to our lips. It is like honey. Lord, it shows us what's right and what's wrong. It shows us you have a plan for us, a hope for us, abundant life for us. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for sending your Son. And if there's anyone here that has not received you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, we pray that you will help them call upon your name this morning to trust you for the salvation of their souls. And all God's people said, Amen.